Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you are enjoying the Bumps and Thumbs podcast. In order to continue to run the podcast and get guests on the show, we need support from people like you. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Once you are there, you'll have options to select from to make a monthly contribution. Your support will help us get on wrestling stars that require financial compensation. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is considered to be one of the best minds and competitors in the pro wrestling business. He is most remembered as the Prince of Darkness, leader of the Varsity Club, and the Dungeon of Doom. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome the Taskmaster himself, Mr. Kevin Sullivan. Kevin, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Brian, for letting me be on the show, and I've been looking forward to it. But you know, when you were given the rundown, right? Mm-hmm. To me, the one that is overlooked and probably maybe my best work ever because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it, mm-hmm. the Varsity Club. The Varsity Club. You know, you say that. And what's funny, as I remember that, I was about I don't know, probably 14 or 15 years old when that uh, fashion was formed. And I just thought it was amazing because Mike Rotunda up to that point was always a baby face. He was the all-American Mr. Good Guy. And when he turned heel and joined the varsity club, to me, that was like the, the it for that fashion to me and you, of course, and Rick Steiner, Steve Williams, you know, uh, Danny Spivey. I mean, it was a great fashion. Yeah, and I don't think because it was so limited run. Yeah, no, it didn't they, last very long. They didn't get their due. Mm. And it, hey, the talent that was in there, I mean, you mentioned Dan Spivey, Dr. Mm-hmm. Death, Mike Rotunda, Steiner. And I'll tell you a, a real quick story. I think the reason why it didn't last long, Rick Steiner was so entertaining because I went to Dusty and I said, Dusty, we can't keep him healed. He, the people are turning him just like they turned you, Dusty. And, you know, he was listening to Alex, you know, and all that. And I can remember I, I uh, ha- did a rib on Steiner that backlashed on me. Uh, we had we turned a baby face. And the first time I wrestled him, I wrestled him in the Boston Gardens. 
Oh, wow. So I got with the announcer. Uh-huh. And usually I would go to the ring first, right? Being uh-huh. the heel and starting. But I said, told the announcer, clue to me what we're doing. Marvin Hagler was on the front row with his kid. All kind of celebrities were there. Uh-huh. Uh, Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, everybody. And I, I have Rick go out. Whole building, the gardens is going, ooh, 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 like they used to do from your know, barking. Yeah. And it also says, coming down the aisle from the home of the new NBA champions, the Detroit Pistons, and they turned on them in an instant. Started booing <laughs> on the ring. I make my entrance. And the announcer says, and, home, and from the home of the greatest franchise in NBA history, the Boston Celtics, the people pop, right? Jeez. Oh, that's great. I get in the ring, and smoke is coming out of his ass. And I said, well, <laughs> he'll calm down. He shot me in and gave me one of his clotheslines. And I did a Linda Blair and fell out of the ring by Hagler. And I'm pulling myself up in front of Hagler. I said, brother, you're going to give me a hand? And he said, brother, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but Steiner was so over. And, you know, the matches he had with Dr. Death and Mike, I mean, they were, they were I mean, uh, I hate to use this word, but I don't think these guys were smartened up because the way they were whacking each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was great to see. Yeah, and unfortunately, we didn't. You know, when people talk to me about my history, that isn't brought up very often, and it's probably the best I ever saw. Where you had three heels, of four intermingling with Danny mm-hmm. four heels, where the people almost got the respect of the four horsemen. Yeah, because they were so tough. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I, when I was a kid, I absolutely, your two fashions were actually probably, I'd watch TBS, you know, the Saturday night, WCW Saturday night, and be looking forward to the varsity club and the horsemen. And uh, it was a short lived run. Now that you said that I, I never, but uh, it's too bad because, you know, um, it was a great, great group of guys. They were tough. You were tough. Yeah. You guys all had that background, that amateur background, which made it even more, uh, you know, realistic and, and, you know, tough guys, you know. So I want to talk a little bit, if we could, you yeah. growing up. So you were, my understanding is you are born and raised in Massachusetts around Boston area. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, your childhood and schooling and, and, and things like that, if you would, please. Yeah, my I, uh, my family is originally from South Boston. As a child, we I we moved across the river to Cambridge. My dad was a Boston cop. Okay. Mother worked in the school systems. I uh, played, you know, all the sports. Mm-hmm. That kids would play, and then I got kind of directed into wrestling. I wrestled for uh, 
when I was like 10, I started wrestling at the Cambridge YMCA and then the Waltham Boys Club. Okay. And then I ended up going to the <clears throat> uh, YMCA Union. It's the second oldest athletic club in the United States. Oh, okay. Are, yeah. The uh, New York Athletic Club is the oldest the YMCA Union, not YMCA A. It's YMCA uh, Union is the second oldest, and I started wrestling for them. Uh, I don't know if anybody had ever heard of Jack Pesic. He was in the 30s the policeman for uh, Strangle Lutz. Okay, and Strangle Lutz, yeah. Yeah, he was the real deal. And his kid ended up uh, being the coach of the Olympic team, and he's also the coach of the amateur team at the YMCA Union. Okay. And uh, I would see the pro wrestlers come in, but they wouldn't get on the match and wrestle. You know, they just lift weights and go take steams and stuff. Yeah. And then one day I was wrestling, and a guy came in from South Africa, and he said, hey, you want to work out? And I said, yeah. <clears throat> and it was, I think he was 40 and I was like 18 or 17. And uh, I get, I was 18. And these uh, were working out and we became friends. And he had graduated from Oxford oh, and, wow. Harvard, and Harvard Business School. Oh, jeez. He was, do you remember, uh, what was the shirts that came out? You won't remember. It was an arrow shirts where they had the button-down collars. They were the hottest things at one time. He was a male model. I mean, he was in uh, uh, soap operas at the time. Wow. But little did I know. He was from the, the Berry family, the diamond mine people in South Africa. Okay. So we got to be friends. And one time he said, hey, you ever want to go, uh, ever think about being a pro wrestler? I said, nah. <laughs> he said, well, that's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And I said, well, why don't you do it? He said, well, I do it on these small groups, but my family won't allow me to do it. It's beneath our stature in South Africa. Oh, gosh. So I said, well, <laughs> it's not beneath my stature. So when I went, he, he was booked in Montreal, and this was a guy. This is like a history lesson. Yeah. The guy's name was Pat Gerard, and that's when there was two officers in Montreal, the, the Jeans and the Rougeos. Okay. But Pat was... Everybody's idol he trained. Pat Patterson, Ronnie Garvin, uh, Fernand Fischette, uh, Jimmy Garvin. Uh, it went a host of others. Yeah. Because at one time, he was the biggest paid wrestler in the world. Oh, wow. He was wrestling in uh, London four and five times a day, never leaving oh, wow. London. And he had Rolls Royce. And then he got an addiction problem and then he went back. But because everybody held him in such reverence, mm -hmm. they would send, he, he had his students and guys that were starting, 
But the two officers who allowed guys to intermingle at that, it was in Verdun. So I went to it and, uh, you know, I had wrestled there for 10 years and wait for them to tell me what to do. Yeah. So my friend's name was Peter. And I said, Peter said, well, what match you on? I said, I don't even know. They haven't told me. <laughs> so Peter says, I'll find out. He comes on and says, I'm on the first match. You're on the third match. I said, well, when are they going to tell me what's going on? He says, oh, let me get the referee. So Peter says, ref, ref, he doesn't know what's going on. And the referee says, in a French Canadian accent, I'll get back, I'll get back. <laughs> this goes on. Bells ringing. I have no idea what's going on. Now, I know you can't pull the guy down by his hair, his tights. I, I mean, 10 yeah. years after, I wasn't an idiot. So I get in the ring and I'm with this guy, Fernand Fouchette, who had been a big star on both companies. Mm-hmm. But he was wearing a mask to kind of kayfabe who he was, right? Right. So he tries to put me in a hold and I screw it up, I'm sure. But how bad it was was probably the worst of all times. I fly in there and he goes down and he goes down not smoothly because my legs were in the way, my arms were in the way. Mm-hmm. I hear him go, Oof, I panic and I kick him. <laughs> I guess I thought I was going to try to kick a field goal because he rolled out in the apron. He's going, oh, and I, you know, back in the day when that old spot, the guys would slingshot the guys back into the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I blanked. I knew that I was supposed to do something. I hit the ropes and I came off and I was really in good shape then. I was about yeah. 230. And I hit the ropes and came off probably 40 miles an hour and I knocked him four rows back. He got up, cut him, you know, the tabernacle, the man, they do that French cussing. He pulls off his mask. I said, oh God, something's wrong. He starts going, I jump on the second rope, come back, come back. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to get my ass kicked. I better be prepared. <laughs> I walk back and he grabs me and says, what the hell were you doing? I said, this is my first match. Nobody told me what to do. <laughs> he said, what? And I told him that. And the referee went, tried to go in behind us. He snatched the referee by the throat and said, hey, this kid could have hurt me real bad and I could have snapped him. Hurt this kid real bad. You yeah. guys really screwed up. Yeah. So this is when I realized that wrestlers are basically good people. Yeah. He said to me, uh, next week you're booked on the cut. I know that. He said, I saw your name. You come up the night before. I come, I'll come over the day of the show three hours early and I'll work out with you and show you at least the basics. So wow. that's how it's nice. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's pretty, you know, I've heard a lot where they don't, they didn't smarten you up when you uh, did the training or. I whatever. never did any training. See, you're never. one of the few. Okay. Uh, Nikita Koloff. I interviewed him probably a year and a half ago. Same thing, you know, it says on the internet he's trained by Eddie Shark. He says, nope, never was trained. I just went in. 
So that's amazing. You're the second person. And for all your accomplishments that you've done, I mean, you're, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it was because maybe I respected what they did. Yeah. And I understood, you know, how mm -hmm. difficult it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how difficult it was to really make people, when they came in, to hang their hat up, willing suspension, disbelief, and buy into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. when I was a kid. You know, I was a wrestling fan. Okay, yeah. and I'll give you an example. I saw—I uh, don't know if it's ten years ago. I've told the story so long. I'm watching. Uh, do you know TV Land Channel? Yeah, yeah. You know, shows the old TV. Yeah, program, yeah. Right? I'm watching this program in uh, Superman, and there's a wrestler from India that's a shooter. And all the wrestlers. Uh, uh, You're all right. All, yeah, all the wrestlers uh, uh, bitching that, you know, he's shooting, saying, oh, this can't be, this can't be. So what they do is they, they what they do is they, uh, take these cinder blocks and cement the, him into the dressing room because he's going to wrestle the champion, right? <laughs> so Superman flies by, sees what's going on with his x-ray vision, flies into the building, knocks the cinder blocks out, the guy goes out, and the character actor that plays the promoter, everybody would know who he was, yells, I love it, real wrestling, I love it. I look at the bottom. At the end of the credits, it's yeah. 1953. So they've known wrestling's uh, work way mm -hmm. back. Yeah. But to have the ability, like, you know, I wrestled amateur 10 years. Mm -hmm. When I went and saw the original Sheik, mm -hmm. the building actually moved. I'm telling you, I thought it did anyway. And I said, I know the rest of this is, is not real, but he is. Yeah. What kind of a convincing have to you do your brain with? Everything else is fake except one guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember the Sheik. Yeah, he was he was oh, crazy. Yeah. But I tell you, uh, even back when I was, you know, in the 70s and, and 80s, you know, I believed it. Because it looked so, it was so convincing, I guess I want to say that the guys, you know, and I think that's a big, the difference today is with social media and things like that, when they're in the match, they wrestle when they're outside the match, they're best buds or whatever, and they, and they go back and forth on social media. And I think that's what really kills it a lot. And I under, I understand they you know you got to make money too and things, but uh, I don't know. It's just a lot different than when I was a kid. I mean, I believed that you were the Prince of Darkness. I believed you were that heel. I always wanted to go through the television and just wring your neck half the time because you were so convincing. And Varsity Club too, like when Mike Rotunda turned. I mean, I love Mike Rotunda, and right. 
when he did that, I just, it was just like, he stabbed me in the heart. Be honest. Do you you know, here's what I believe too, Brian. And they're much more athletic. Mm -hmm. They look better, but here's the difference. How much do you hear from Brock on social media? I don't think you hear anything. Nothing. Okay. Zero. Well, if the guy's drawing the most money in the world and getting paid the most, why would you follow his advice? Yeah. Right? Why right. are you following the guy that's on the first match he's advice? Yeah. I, I personally think like you do, and I understand social media and, uh, you know, but here's the thing. It gets me now when I hear the Undertaker do interviews because he kept it so tight for so many years. Yeah. Even yeah. if you didn't believe he was the dead man, you thought there was something wrong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the problem is, I think, and the reason why they buy these people are buying into it, and I don't blame them because of money. Yeah. yeah. People are more interested in what's going on in the back than the matches. Yeah, you hit it right. Nail on the head there, Kevin. Exactly. And uh, I don't want to be a harbinger of doom, but I just read something today because I was going to come up with some facts for you. Rogers Rogers and O'Connor, right? Comiskey Park, 1960. Mm Mm-hmm. First time a heel got the belt, right? Now, now it's heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 38,000 people. Biggest house for 20 years, $144,000. What they failed to tell you is the following weekend, another event, and it wasn't the White Sox, it was Comiskey Park. It wasn't the White Sox, and it wasn't a concert. The, that event drew 40, almost 42,000 people. What mm-hmm. do you think it was? I'm sure it was a wrestling match from what? No, you know? it was roller derby. Roller derby, wow. Where's roller derby today? Don't even hear about it. Probably doesn't even exist. If it does, it's very. It's very regional. I, mm-hmm. I, I live in the islands, as you know, and uh, it's kind of. Semi big here, but it's the girls' roller derby that's yeah. semi big. But when they get more, we, I, 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 and here's the thing back then, they didn't have UFC biting on their ass. Yeah, true. I mean, Brian, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. You're, you're watching the Super Bowl. Mm hmm. This last one. Okay. Uh, L.A. scores, but Brady's got time. Right? They get time. They don't They don't run out. He's got the ball. He's moving down. Gronkowski makes a great catch. Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, they're on the five-yard line. One of the Rams runs out and steals the ball. And the game goes on, off. You know, we don't have enough time. Yeah. They shoot the signal off. Are you going to watch that Super Bowl again? Maybe one Maybe. time. 
Yeah. But if they do that same finish, you're not going to do it. Right. And here's what I, I find. Uh, if, if anybody that's involved in wrestling that's in the uh, back, I want them to listen to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They've been bitching about dusty finishes for years. They still do. Yeah. And before it was dusty, it was Louis Tillette that actually did them. I almost cost Louis his job. When I was a rookie in Florida, they had the best of Florida championship wrestling mm-hmm. on, on at the end of the year. And I went fishing after I played with Eddie Graham. He said, what did you think of the show? I said, it was great, but each, I saw eight big matches where the referee got knocked down. Not only did Louis Tillette bring it in in the 70s, yeah. in the 50s, uh, the guy that had uh, Houston, uh, Morris Siegel, was doing it then. Yeah. We got to get out of patents. Uh, it's the same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, stand it when I. I've been in the business since 1970. I can't stand it when I see a referee go down again. I mean, you can only create it so many times. Let me ask you this. When's the last time in heavyweight boxing, and I'm a big boxing fan because my family's been in it. My great-great-uncle was John L. Sullivan, the last bad uncle champion. Yeah. First cousin, Tom McNeely, fought Floyd Patterson for the title. Wow. His son, who's my co- second cousin, fought Tyson, Peter McNeely. Wow. And then I have other ones on my mother's side, other Sullivan, so I don't know if I'm half-assed in bread, but <laughs> when's the last time you've seen a heavyweight fight where a referee got knocked down? I, I haven't, never. <laughs> Are we losing some kind of credibility when we keep on doing it? And here's the crazy thing. People that influence the wrestling business, these journalists, knock it. They go ahead and let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No, I I mean, yeah, I, I get what you're saying because, yeah, you see it over and over and you're kind of like, when's this going to end? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I see that. I, I do. Yeah, it, we fall in. Here's the thing: it's smart. I've been around some of the most brilliant guys ever. Yeah, Leo yeah. Garibaldi. Me and Piper used to say he was the smartest guy we ever met. Yeah, Eddie yeah. Grant. Yeah, I mean Jim Barnett, Vince Senior. You know everybody. Mm-hmm. But we all fall into patterns, so we have to have somebody to say maybe we shouldn't do that tonight, and that's what I'm seeing. In today's day and age, there's nobody that's connected with a major promotion that says, can I bring the uh, consenting vote and say, maybe we shouldn't do this? Yeah. No, it's like, I, I don't understand why they follow it to the same patterns. I think it's, honestly, Kevin, I think it's been going on for so long, I guess, that it's been ingrained in your mind that the referee or or something like that, it's going to happen if the match, and I know what you're talking about, 
Yeah. And it, 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 it's, it does get frustrating. Uh, once maybe, you know, like, I don't know, once a year or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great, you know. But when it's like every two weeks or every week or whatever, uh, yeah, it does get a little monotonous and, and a little yeah. old. And I think, too, is that they don't, you know, maybe, and you've been in the business, I'm just the outside looking in. I think that the person that the matchmaker or the booker, they are, uh, they are uh, trying to just not be as creative as they used to be. And it's a little frustrating uh, because back in your era, you were a booker, you know, it was very simple. I think back then you just said, Hey, these two are fighting or matching. This is the outcome, whatever it is, you guys deal with it in between. There's, there was more, I guess the persons that were wrestling had more involvement in the match as far as how it went. You know, and then maybe I'm wrong. That's what I've heard before. You know, I, I think I think you're right, Brian, because uh, when I ask guys, mm-hmm. like, how long you've been in the business? And again, this is not knocking anybody. It's a different mm-hmm. life. It's a yeah. different time, different era. Yeah. It's their time. I say, how long you've been in the wrestling business? And they say, uh, three years. I said, how many matches have you had? And they'll say 80. Well, my first year in the business, I had over 400 matches. I'll give you an example. Oh my gosh, wow. Friday night, I used to go to Knoxville, wrestle in Knoxville on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning, I'd do Knoxville TV. Mm-hmm. I would drive 100 miles to Chattanooga and do TV in Chattanooga in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. At, six, at 7 o'clock, I'd go to Chattanooga Auditorium and wrestle on the first or second match. They would fly me to Birmingham to do midnight TV. Oh, wow. So these guys, like everything else, you get better with more reps than, than you do. Yeah. And I think that I'm glad to see that uh, uh, that some of the now we're seeing some house shows mm-hmm. and guys get to learn yeah. rather than just on TV because that's a lot of pressure. You know, yeah. you're going yeah. yeah. to be Performing in front of a bunch of people, if you yeah. screw up, yeah. you've got it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm i with you. I'm with you on that. I want to ask you a couple more questions here. Yeah. One is, you were a baby face for oh, quite a while during the first part of your career. Yeah. You know, I remember I've seen matches with you when you were in the WWF. And what... Was that moment when you decided or they decided that, hey, we're going to make you heal and you're going to be Prince of Darkness, Kevin Sullivan? What, what was the, you know, what was that like? How does that moment happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what, how it happened was I had turned heel in Atlanta against Tony Atlas and Steve Kern, but it was the basic heel turn. And then I went to Memphis for a short time mm-hmm. and worked with Lawler. Then I went and booked for Blackjack Mulligan in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And then when Knoxville was uh, kind of swapping talent with Atlanta, so I was working Knoxville and Atlanta. Yeah. And 
Dusty came in, and I had known Dusty since I started. He said, Way, why don't you come in? I said, hey, I got an idea. And I gave him the idea, but not the complete idea. Yeah. It was when I went in, I had, I came with the back to Florida as a baby face. Mm-hmm. But the Wyndham family said, Mike and Eddie, you're trusting him. He's not the same guy. Kern sent in an interview from Memphis, said he's not the same guy. Tony Atlas sent an interview. And then finally, I had a confrontation with Mulligan. I said, hey, listen, you don't live in a glass house. you got no right to throw a stone. You, you haven't been the best guy either. I've made mistakes just like everybody else. Yeah. I'm trying to rectify the mistakes. But you got to realize that back then, MTV had first started. Okay. Yeah. Billy Idol. Yeah. Rilla. Michael Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. The horror gen- genre was on. Yeah. Uh, the world was changing and getting darker, especially in Florida, right? Yeah. I mean, people making millions of dollars a day in Florida. So I started at, I knew, I had an idea where the character was going mm-hmm. because I, I also believe if you're booking, you better know the end of the story before you write the first page. Yeah. Yeah. I always believe that you should book a year out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just like a character, you should know where it's going to end. So I started that, that the guys were, they were right that they were judging me, but they were wrong because I wanted to change. Yeah. So finally there was a, Florida title was up for grabs and me and Barry wrestled 54 minutes in 106 North Albany. Mike Graham was special announcer. We do this thing where I go to leg dive uh, Barry at like the 48 minute mark. He moves out of the way. I go to the floor. Mm-hmm. He holds the rope open. I come back in. We shake hands. At Right before the finish at the 54 minute mark, he goes to do it. We reverse rolls. He goes to the floor. I hold the rope open. He walks in. I kick him in the face, beat him, grab the belt. And Mike Graham's screaming, what's going on? What are you doing? I said, you only wanted one thing, this belt. And I laced him. I mean, I laced Mike. Yeah. And I knocked him over on, on the floor from Gordon's desk. And wow. he was so pissed. He chased me. But I hit him so hard. Remember when jeans used to have buttons in the crotch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. blew all the buttons off his crotch the way he took the bump. And he chased me and he would have caught me. He would have beat the dog shit out of me. Except he had to be holding those pants up there at his ankle. So when I did that, I slowly started to do, like, putting makeup under my eyes, little mm-hmm. and then be talking about interviews and then during the interviews I say oh I see you in that brown LTD you're not going to catch me I'm playing to Florida you yeah. know what I mean they, they know I'm not on NyQuil you know what I mean <laughs> staying up late everybody yeah. is getting the message and then I started to do the Abuda Dean which is a fertility guide because when I went to I, I did a lot of traveling 
mm-hmm. in Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, uh, Samoa. And I, you know, I kind of really studied that culture. And I thought, we're all afraid of something we don't know. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, they asked me to bring out a character, Habudadine. But I said, no, right? Your boogeyman doesn't look anything like my boogeyman. Right? Yeah, right. Doesn't look like your brother's boogeyman or my brother's boogeyman. <laughs> yeah. So, and the other thing is, I had to overcome my stature. You know what I mean? I was yeah. wide and big, but I always thought, do you remember the alien, the first movie? Mm-hmm. The alien? Yeah, yeah. Remember when he popped out of the guy's chest? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What was he, 12 inches tall? <laughs> and at the movie, at the end of the movie, he's taller than anybody, 20 feet? Yeah. Is he really 20 feet or are they just perceiving him as 20 feet? Because if we took a fly swatter out and hit him when he first came out, the movie's through. Yeah. So my deal was, when I got ready to turn and I did that on Barry, I was booked against Blackjack Mulligan mm-hmm. the next day because we were leading up to this that if Mulligan and I could settle our difference in the ring and then I beat Barry and they mm-hmm. saw her that night in Orlando, well, we uh, thus they had me come over to the Babyface dressing room, which was unheard of. And uh, Blackjack said to Dusty, who's the booker? What do you want in this match? He said, well, why don't you guys work at DQ? And he looked at Dusty and said, no. He said, he's going to beat me and get me to death. And then Kendall's going to come down. He's going to drop Kendall. Barry's going to come down. He's going to drop Barry. And he said, you're coming down. You're laying down from two. If we're going to get him over, yeah, we'll get, get him over tonight. And I was lucky, man. I had the biggest and baddest baby faces of all times flopping for me. You know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're just talking about that a little bit. And now let's talk about uh, once you transition to that Prince of Darkness, Taskmaster, you'd pretty much stay to heal your whole time. Uh, the rest of your, as far as I can remember, your career. Yeah. yeah. And that's always I remember you as, as that heel, the Prince of Darkness, the Taskmaster, the, the leader of the Varsity Club, the Dungeon of Doom. And you just it felt like you just came out of your shell. Like before you were just, you were in the ring, you might have said a few little comments, but nothing, you know, notable, I guess I want to say. And that's not a bad thing. It was just that when you brought that heel side of you out, it just, you just, had it you know it was just that was you and it was just a big transformation because i remember it i was like oh my gosh what what happened to kevin he somebody really ticked him off you know and yeah um but i want to talk a little bit more about some uh pay-per-view events so you were uh like starcade um great american bash uh, I know you're pretty involved in that as far as uh, not just wrestling, but the booking part too. What was, I mean, that had to be pretty stressful for you. Yeah. But I mean, I, I really enjoyed my job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're bound around a lot of guys mm-hmm. who are very smart. I mean, 
you know, I was on the booking committee and then later on I booked it myself. And then I was the assistant booker with Kevin Nash. So you're around a lot of great guys, you're around a lot of creative guys. Mm -hmm. And then the talent, you know, there's a lot of creative talent around. So I was very lucky to do that. But is the pressure on you? Yeah. Yeah, because you have to draw. And then here's the thing. I'm I'm sure to in today's day. I mean, I remember when it was three days before you found out a pay-per-view. Now they give you a sampling the night of what they think, and then the next 24 hours, you know. So you know if you you know hit a miss inside of 24 hours. So it's a stressful yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh I mean you had to be very, I mean, I've heard your name a lot as a booker. Dusty Rhodes, Dutch Mantel, uh, those really those three names stick out to me as brilliant minds of the business of the '80s and into the '90s, as the guys that really knew the craft and knew how to book people with the right opponents and and all that, and that'd be I pretty stressful. And that'd be pretty, I mean, you have to be creative all the time, not just a one shot deal. And, and I, I praise you for that because today I don't think it's, and I'm not, not I shouldn't be knocking the business because, you know, they got to do what they got to do for money, but I'm saying, I don't think it's as quite as creative as it used to be. I, I, I here's the thing. And again, these kids are so talented. Yeah. So talented. But when you, you know, when I said I knew it was bullshit when I was a kid because I had the amateur background. Yeah. 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 I bought into the Sheik. I bought into him. I thought he was a lunatic. I thought he didn't speak English. And then he became one of my dearest friends as I got older. Now we yeah. became super close. He was one of the nicest guys ever in my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wrestled Dusty. Think about this. And almost every night of the week for three years in some kind of capacity, either me against him, mm -hmm. me and Mark against him and a partner. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark wrestling him me being on the floor or it goes on and on and on I never once heard anybody yell Dusty you're fat no okay if he got on social media eventually today some would say hey why don't you stop eat a salad dust okay the three guys you mentioned, the only three things that Dusty, uh, Dutch, and I have in common, you're around Eddie Graham. There you go. And, and Dusty and I are a bit longer than Dutch. Okay. But Dutch had other great uh, people to teach him, Jerry Judge. Jerry Judge. Like, yeah. uh, like, I think Dusty and I had Barnett, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm with you it's like 
This, do you know why this MJF is getting over? I like MJF, but I want to oh, hear your opinion. I'll tell you why he's getting over. I know a lot of people he's going to get on people's nerves because he doesn't come out of character. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. He's so obnoxious. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I think his character's over. He's not overly big. He looks like an athlete. Mm -hmm. I've noticed lately that he's obviously been trained a little because he's got a little more buffer. Yeah. But he's got that, he's at that area where people are watching and saying, I know I can beat him up. I like to punch that big yes. mouth in the face. You know, yes. it ain't like you're going against uh, uh, the warlord, you know, yeah. uh, barbarian, yeah. a hard coat. Yes, the people at home were saying, oh, I like to shut him up. You know, I think this is how he really is, where everybody else is doing it like tongue-in-cheek. You're, oh, you guys are coming to the show, and you're saying this is awesome and holy shit. And you're in on the joke too, so we'll do it. But he doesn't. No, even in interviews that I've seen with him, like with Chris Van Fleet, and oh, uh, I saw that one. Yeah, he, he does. He he does not break character at all. Oh, no, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, he calls him names and everything. I mean, it's just like this guy. Was, I mean, it's, it's actually very refreshing to have yeah, that back because it, he doesn't break what, character. What yeah. I liked about that Chris Van Fleet one, yeah. Now, maybe Chris is working, too. If he is, yeah. congratulations. And I think, of course, he's working something. Yeah. But it got to be a point where he was almost saying, in my head, hey, MJF, this is enough. Get off my ass a little. Yeah. But he stayed on it and kept it going, 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 going. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think the kid may be, get be in five years, the highest paid wrestler by fire of all times. Yeah, he, he is. If he keeps going the way he is, yes, he's yeah. gonna. They never. They, they don't need to make him a baby face. I'm, that would be the worst oh, thing they would I do. Hope not. No, I, I hope not either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, no. But I'm, eventually, eventually, the people are gonna make him a baby face. They're gonna stop wearing. Yeah. They're gonna stop wearing scarves and stuff like that. But he's got a strong enough personality to go against it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm with. Yeah, I, I like MJF as well. Yeah, he's he's yeah. he's something else. He's he's a refreshing part of wrestling of today because yeah, he doesn't. He yeah, he is. So I wanted to ask you: Did you ever work for Vern Gagne? No, I never did. I never did. Was there a reason that you ever get asked yeah. and just decided not there, to? Or there was a reason: the trips. In the winter, I didn't like winter, and I didn't want to be, you know. Okay. And, and there's no disrespect, but I mean, I know a lot of guys didn't go to Minneapolis because of that. The yeah. trips were so long and so cold, and yeah. But it was a great territory. Yeah, I mean, that's I grew up in Wisconsin, so that's was the main thing for me until you know cable came in in the mid 80s but 
I, I just was thinking about that the other day. It's like, you know, I don't remember Kevin ever being in the AWA, uh, even when it was hot in the early 80s, you know, from about 80 to 84, it was it was on fire. And I was I don't remember ever seeing you in there. So I wanted to ask you that. And uh, I mean, that's a good reason. I mean, it is cold up there. I ain't going to lie to you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't blame you for that. So uh well, you worked in both the NWA and the WWF. I, you had a lot more, from what I've seen, uh, success while you were in the NWA, WCW. Um, did you like working for Vince, I guess, senior? Uh, oh, I loved it. I had a great job. Mm -hmm. I, I was the first local boy that he ever used pretty good because I didn't start there. I went away for five years. Mm -hmm. I would work, I worked in a couple of uh, Christmases when I go home, I'd work local shows, you know, mm -hmm. that they ran around Boston and he was nice enough to book me. But my job there was to get the heel ready for Bruno. I was uh, Haystack's partner. I was Andre's partner. I would beat Spirisari on, on the way out, uh, different heels on the way out. Yeah. And then I would do the job for the Hansons and the Brodies. Yeah. So I had a great job. Yeah. And uh, after 13 months, he came to me and said, listen, Kevin, I usually keep a guy in this position six months, but he had 13 months. Uh, if you like me to send you someplace or if you yeah. want to get booked, he said, but don't hurry. Uh, you, you got a permanent place here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I just, he was a great guy, yeah. a great guy. Yeah. I'll tell you how good he, how gracious this guy was. I had a death in my family, mm -hmm. and I missed Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, and the Philadelphia Spectrum. And when I came back, it was, I came back on a Friday morning, and I worked at North Edelboro. I lived in Boston. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. North Carolina was right down the road, and I got there. And Angelo Savoli was the agent, and when I got there, he mm -hmm. said, "Come in the bathroom. I need to talk to you." And I thought, "Well, well he's going to give me a finish that he thinks I'm not going to like or what." He pulled out an envelope and said, uh, "The old man told me to give you this." I said, "What is it?" He said, "The three towns you missed." Wow. How many how many promoters did that back then? Back then, yeah. Not very many. And and I'm gonna tell you, it was padded too. It wasn't just my usual payoff. Yeah. So I really appreciate I really appreciate the McMahons, even though I've never worked for them. Yeah. I appreciate them coming from his loins, you know. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's 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 interesting. I'm glad you said that. That's a great story, you know. I know the McMahons get a lot of heat, but yeah. I know Vince Senior. I'm not knocking the current McMahons. They're they're great people too. They do a lot of stuff for organizations and stuff. I hear a lot of stories about Vince Senior and how kind he was and how good he was to the wrestlers. If they missed shows like you just talked about, he'd still yeah. pay them. And I'll tell you what: when I worked the gardens, the old time wrestlers from New York would come there. Mm -hmm. And um, we're talking almost 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. The old-time wrestlers would 
uh, line up and they'd be in his, or he'd call them into his office. He'd give them 200 bucks. I mean, 50 years ago, 200 bucks meant something. That's a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, when you could buy a beer in a bar for five cents and they all take gas for 17, it meant something. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, I was doing some research too on you, Kevin, and uh, I was really shocked at, you're not in the Hall of Fames that I thought you would be in. Now you're. I just read the other day that you're finally getting the men's wrestling award from the Cauliflower Alley Club this yeah. coming fall. But you know you're not, and, and, and I don't understand why because you brought so much to this business during your time, and, and you've won numerous titles, tag team titles, singles titles a recognized name in the business. I just, I'm kind of blown away at why you're not in the professional wrestling hall of fame. Well, I was asked just recently about the professional wrestling hall of fame by Joe Briscoe, but uh, I'm in the NWA hall of fame. I don't see why I'd be in the WWF hall of fame because I didn't work for the SCART run the ship right back then uh i wasn't in a position to draw them money uh, mm-hmm. it could help them but i wasn't in a position and the other thing is no disrespect for anybody mm-hmm. right yeah know thyself yeah is one of my big things yeah i often thought that if i didn't go into wrestling it should have been Williams, Yastrzemski, and Sullivan, the three left fielders. I couldn't hit a slider. I didn't actually win those matches. I think there should be a wing for guys that put less talented guys like myself over and sacrificed. And until that happens, you know, I'm I'm content. Would I like to be in it? Sure. Everybody wants recognition. Yeah, everybody yeah. wants that mile, mm-hmm. paycheck or whatever. But don't you think there should be a wing of guys that should be in that Hall of Fame that put guys over? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I didn't throw fifty touchdown passes. I never hit a ball ball over Fairway Park wall. So I'm happy. I, so I you know I and I don't I don't mean to be like. No, I understand. You are very deserving of being in the, I know you're in the NWA Hall of Fame. I read that. But I mean the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, or And I understand the WWE one. I mean, that's more of a brand to me. No disrespect right. to WWE, but that's a brand name Hall of Fame. Right. I'm talking about the one in Waterloo, you know, the the Luthes. Yeah, Hall, you that know, would be... That would be one I would want to be in. Yeah, and you you deserve to be in there. To me, I think you deserve to be in there. Thank you. Uh, um, and you know, I was so I, I was so excited when I saw your name on the men's wrestling award for the Cauliflower Thank Alley you. Club. Thank and you. I'm gonna and I told you before we came out, my wife and I are gonna try to get out there. I want to be there for that. Thank you. And. Uh, shake your hand and, and, and talk to you for a little bit um, because you are a very nice 
humble person. You, you know, you're not the Prince of Darkness <laughs> outside of the <laughs> ring. <laughs> no. You know, uh, when we talked a little bit at WrestleCon, you were very forthcoming and very nice, and, and I really appreciate it. So uh, one more question, then we'll let you go, Kevin. Yeah. What are you doing now, sir? What are some things coming up for you that you're, that you're working on? Well, I'm in uh, week after next, I'm in Brooklyn for three days on the signing. And then the following weekend, I'm in Toronto. Oh, wow. Uh, I just did a, uh, you know, Vice had that dark side of the ring. Now they have the territories. I just came back from Tampa. Okay. As you know. Yeah. I yeah. was with Ger- Gerald Briscoe, Steve Kern, Bob Roop, and Brian Blair talking about uh, the Florida Territory. Yeah. Supposedly, I'm supposed to do the one about Polynesian pro wrestling. Okay. I was the last booker. Oh, okay. Before before Rocky came back and took it over. And uh, I'm busy all month of June. And uh, I'm watching the whales going by the house. You know, I live on an island. So it's pretty cool. That's great. That's wonderful. I want to thank you again for coming on here. Um, I really appreciate it. It's a, it's quite an honor and privilege for me to have one of my childhood I don't want to say hero, but villain heel that I really couldn't stand, but now I understand everything a lot better uh, on my on the podcast. So, uh, Kevin, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, the Prince of Darkness. Thank you again, sir, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. I really enjoyed it. All right. And folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. Please subscribe if you haven't, and we'll talk to you soon.